Hello friends, welcome back to another installment of the Earthy Delights podcast. This week, our guest is Melissa Kramer, who is the founder of Live UTI Free, an organization established to help support people struggling with long-term urinary tract infections. They also advocate for the need for more research in this somewhat neglected area of women's health. Why arrange this podcast? Well, I do think our majority male audience could do with brushing up on their knowledge on UTIs as it has and will impact a large percentage of the women in their lives. I have also seen the crushing impact a chronic or long-term UTI has had on my girlfriend and her mental health. She and many others in a similar situation feel alone and often dip into periods of despair, wondering will they always experience this pain. Melissa is keenly aware of this, having suffered with the condition for many years. Her own experience of frustration and anguish encouraged her to set up Live UTI Free. In order to push the situation forward and to help others who, have, who are having their UTI issues significantly affect their lives. We cover a lot in this 42 minutes, from Melissa's personal story, common misconceptions about UTIs, where the research is lacking, and why curing long-term UTIs can be so complex. We also acknowledge the mental health impact of this condition. I really hope this conversation proves helpful to listeners, and please contact Live UTI Free for more information. I've left the link below. Thanks to Melissa for her time, and thanks to you guys for listening. All the best. Melissa Kramer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for making time. What's the crack? How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. It's uh, it's sunny but cold here. Mm-hmm. The heat's on. It's not feel... sunny here, but it is snowing. <laughs> oh, it's snowy there? Mm-hmm. Okay, are you in the mountains? Finally. No, I'm in town, but it's finally snowed. It's, you know, in Ljubljana, here where I live, it's hasn't been snowing at all, but it finally did, so it's all very pretty. Okay. Uh, how's the cold for you? Are you are you a person who enjoys the winter? Not so much. I'm from Australia, and I live in the tropics. I lived in the tropics there, so this is always a little bit dark and a little bit cold, but it's still yeah. pretty magical not having grown up with snow. I still get excited about the snow. Okay. Okay, that's nice. Um, so I guess one thing I just want to th- yeah, thank you for making time for this. I know you're very busy. I I reached out to you a while ago because there's a person very close to me that is um, struggling with a chronic UTI. And as I mentioned just before we started recording, I think because UTIs impact so many women, like such a high percentage of women, and even though seven myself are men, I do feel like men should know about this i mean there's a there's a certainty that a woman in that in a man's life listening mm-hmm. has come across utis and there's a chance also that it's been a chronic uti because um that's a possibility and then we'll, we'll mm-hmm. kind of we'll elaborate that on more in detail but first and foremost i would like if you could to share us your story or share us how you came to be what you're doing now Well, I guess I can start with what I'm doing now, which is running Live UTI Free, which is a patient research and advocacy organization for people who do experience recurrent and chronic UTI. And that's how you and I first met. But my story in this space started like many other people's stories. I have my own experience with chronic UTI. So 
Similar to many other people, I had a single UTI that was treated with antibiotics and then it, I thought it was successfully treated until a few months later it came back and I kind of continued that cycle for a number of years, taking antibiotics, mildly getting better, but each time I got a little less better until the point where I basically was experiencing symptoms continuously. So there was no single day where I didn't have some kind of symptom of a UTI. And at that time I was traveling a lot. I was working and traveling and living full time on the road which made this whole thing much more difficult too, but it also meant I met with doctors in multiple countries and none of them could help me. So I had this global experience of UTIs and not getting the help that I needed. I got very frustrated by that and I did eventually find a way to recover, but I was so frustrated by the thought that so many people would be in this same situation, not finding the information they needed, not understanding what was going on, the scientific theory behind it, that I decided I needed to launch a website to help fill in the gaps. And that's what I've been doing for the last five years. And you're doing a great job. It's it's really fantastic. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave the link in the description after, but I think it's amazing how you, you encourage the community to get involved as well with research and with communication about certain symptoms. Yeah, it's really and, important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just wanted to say, uh, like get definitions um, strict mm -hmm. or clear, may I say? Um, a, can, can you describe like there's a chance that a man is listening and they're, they're not really sure what a UTI is? But could you maybe just describe describe what a UTI is and then uh, mm -hmm. what what is the difference between uh, reoccurring UTIs and a chronic UTI? Okay, so that's a few steps. The first one is that a urinary tract infection is an infection anywhere in the urinary tract. So that includes the urethra, the bladder, the ureters, which are the tubes which connect the bladder to the kidneys and the kidneys themselves. So an infection in any of those organs is a urinary tract infection. The definition of recurrent UTI is that you have at least two episodes of UTI in six months or three in 12 months. When it comes to chronic UTI, there's a couple of ways that people look at this. So recurrent and chronic are kind of interchangeable terms at the moment. There's no consensus about definitions on this. That's something that we're working on as well. But a recurrent UTI can either be caused by a new infection. So you get treated and the infection is cleared and then a new infection happens. Or another theory is that the infection is not properly cleared and it persists. So it's called a persistent infection. You could still have symptoms and then the symptoms might go away, but the infection itself is still at some kind of low level and then it gets back to the point where you have symptoms again. And people often interchange those terms persistent and chronic. So people with chronic UTI have this persistent kind of infection that is not being properly treated. They might still have episodic symptoms when they find some days are not on others, or in my case, they might have continuous symptoms. So they have symptoms 24 hours a day, which is obviously quite debilitating. And I can also go into the science about why they think infection can persist, if you want me to cover that yes, too. Please, yeah. Please. Okay. So there's a couple of ways that infection is thought to remain inside, usually in the bladder. So there's something called a biofilm where organisms can form a kind of community in a slimy matrix that's attached to the bladder wall. They can also form intracellular bacterial communities within the cells of the bladder wall, or they can do both at the same time. Once they've formed one of these structures, it's very difficult for your immune system to defend itself or to attack those, it's also very difficult for antibiotics to reach them. So these are considered very difficult to treat UTIs and that's often why patients end up in that situation in like indefinitely in many cases. 
Okay, thank you for that very comprehensive and succinct answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few follow-up questions then, or maybe I'll just ask one question um, first. Mm -hmm. Is there um, an understanding of why uh, a, a woman, uh, and I, maybe I should just clarify this as well, that men can also get UTIs. They're just much less common compared to men or to women. Mm -hmm. Uh, women it's roughly like one in two women whereas men it's like roughly one in ten I think mm -hmm. um, I wonder is is there a, a growing understanding of why for instance someone might take a course of antibiotics and then that cleared the infection and then there's no really uh, there's no real symptoms further on and then why another person might take the same course of antibiotics and later down the line um like in your instance and the person in my life and many others that feel the symptoms continuously? I don't know that there is research that really highlights that. One of the reasons that it's hard is because people often have both experiences. So I had a UTI once and then I was fine for 11 years and then I had a UTI that just kept coming back. And we speak to a lot of people that have those types of experiences too. And that implies that it's not necessarily something in that person that makes them more prone to a UTI. But recent research has shown that what is in your bladder, in your urinary microbiome could impact your susceptibility. So if you have more beneficial bacteria in your bladder, you're less likely to experience a UTI or a recurrence of UTI, but there's so much research missing in this space that a lot of the things that you hear are actually not backed by science. They're just common understandings of things like the female urethra is shorter and that's why females get more UTIs. There's no scientific backing for that. That's just something that someone decided and is kind of proliferated throughout medical literature. That's very interesting and quite sad because obviously it's it's becoming more and more accepted that women's health is, is has been neglecting in, mm -hmm. in terms of the time and research uh, that men's health gets, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe this just popped That's into my head. That's a huge issue in this space. Absolutely. And, and maybe it just popped into my head there. Maybe if there's another one or if there's a few other kind of misconceptions that that like you said that people think is the case but there's no real hard science to back that up is there anything else just for our listeners well one of the main ones that is kind of lacking in evidence is cranberry juice and um, which is a something that people refer to all the time but there's no good evidence for cranberry juice there's evidence for some of the things that exist within cranberries as an extract but not cranberry juice itself. So that's a, a huge one that I wanted to tackle when I first started this. And I've moved past that now because the problem is so much deeper than cranberry juice, but that's a common one. And I think you also mentioned this when we've talked before that people are often told it's something to do with their personal hygiene. They should wipe from front to back. It's because they're not wearing cotton underwear. It's because they left their bathers on after they went swimming. And it's probably none of those things and people that have UTIs have no one to wipe from front to back for a long time and it has not miraculously cured their UTI. So I mean it's helpful to have these basic tips and people should understand that some of these things might contribute but it's also so much more than that for UTI patients that we need to really take it more seriously. Mm. I know um, the person in my life commented on how they almost felt like sometimes shamed by doctors as if that the issue could just be changed just by either mm -hmm. like cranberry juice or wiping or other things. Mm -hmm. Is 
is that something that you've noticed across the board, like within your community, that there is a high percentage of people suffering from UTIs and chronic UTIs that feel like it's um, the medical advice is not that they're being given by by not only their local GPs, but the medical advice that they're being given is either not um, the up-to-date science or um, given in a way that's somewhat like respectful. <laughs> I mean, we do hear a lot of stories of medical gaslighting in this area. So patients are often led to believe that it's somehow something they did that caused the UTI, which is never appropriate. And there's a huge issue with a lack of accurate testing for UTI. So if a test comes back negative, a lot of clinicians will assume that has to mean that the patient doesn't have a UTI. And from my perspective, even if they don't have a UTI, which is not conclusive based on the current standard of testing, they still have symptoms. So they should be taken seriously. You can't then just say, well, there's nothing wrong with you or it's in your head. But there's another side of the problem, which goes back to the lack of research that I mentioned. Clinical guidelines for clinicians don't really go beyond a short course of antibiotics or just use the standard test. So clinicians have really limited resources themselves in order to be able to help patients in this position. And those clinicians that do specialize in recurrent UTI, they're often using research that hasn't made it through to guidelines. So they might be even practicing outside the guidelines for their region just in order to help these patients. So it's I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to blame clinicians but it's always inappropriate for clinicians to blame patients. And one of the things that clinicians can do to help with the situation is just to listen to their patients. That's one of the things that comes up the most in our patient research is that patients just don't feel listened to. Sometimes they don't expect their doctor to fix the problem, but they always want the doctor to listen and to validate them. And that's a really simple step that a clinician can take to make a patient feel like they're less alone and like someone's actually in their corner. Absolutely, because surely the, the the pain that they're feeling, that the average person is feeling while having these reoccurring symptoms, surely it's going to be exacerbated by the thought that either it's all in their head or that nobody is trusting them or mm -hmm. that they feel so alone that nobody else can um, can relate or, like you say, validate how they feel. Yeah, it can be a very lonely experience to have a chronic illness, especially when the whole medical industry is telling you, like in some places that it just doesn't exist, chronic UTI is not a thing. But that's also why it's so important to find a clinician that does understand the science behind it, even if they don't know what the solution is yet. And I guess that that's also, uh, maybe we can spend a bit of time talking about the kind of different aspects of the organization live UTI free because that is one aspect of it where you put concerted effort into trying to find doctors that are uh, well versed in this field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's become one of the main things that people reach out not knowing what to do next. And sometimes their question to us is just what should I do, which is very broad for us. And we have people visit our site from all over the world. So it can be very difficult to know what to recommend for people in different areas, but we have been working on collecting a list of clinicians who are referred by other people in the community or by clinicians who are already in our network. So we try to find out what we can about clinicians 
where they're based and whether they can treat patients that are international or just local and if they offer telemedicine, if they work with children. And then when people reach out to our site, we try to provide information that's relevant for them in their region. Mm. That's great, Mercy. It's such an important service. Is there, could you also... There's not enough clinicians though. Yeah, do, do you feel, do you, is it, I was going to ask, what do you think is the biggest issue facing um, UTIs and chronic UTIs? Like, is it is it the lack of research and the lack of clinicians combined, kind of? I think it's both. The lack of research is always going to feed into the lack of clinicians who understand the problem because there's not that much for them to understand until the research is done. And then until the guidelines are changed, a lot of them won't feel comfortable treating outside those guidelines. So everything always comes back to the research, but there are papers out there and research has been done that clinicians can familiarize themselves with. So the onus is partly on the clinicians, though I do understand that they mostly don't have time to keep up with every single type of ailment. But UTI is the most common adult bacterial infection in the world. So it is quite important that they keep up with what's going on. And that kind of feeds into the antimicrobial resistance crisis. It's a pretty big deal and UTI is right at the middle of this. So it needs to be taken seriously across all those levels. Okay. So, sorry, just to move on from that is, you do I understand correctly that the UTI issue and the chronic UTI issue is part of a bigger issue that are the, the microbiome that I could, it antimicrobial is. resistance so antibiotic resistance okay and is this as a result of say the last few decades humans using antibiotics more and more yeah i mean ever since the antibiotics were invented they've started to become a problem from the resistance perspective but it is becoming more and more of an issue and there are very few new antibiotics in the pipeline so that means that we're running out of options and many people that have recurrent and chronic uti have resistant UTI. So they're left managing their symptoms, often using non-antibiotic approaches or having only antibiotics they can have by IV, for instance, that can treat their infection. So it's becoming more and more scary to get in this position for patients. I get you. Wow. Um, And before we move on to a separate section, perhaps you could also talk a bit more about the other kind of aspects of live UTI free for people Mm -hmm. so people are people obviously listening or if they have a loved one uh, who is struggling with this they've probably heard of the fact that the doctors don't know so much or they feel like there's not that much research um or they so could you maybe expand or just give it like a quick kind of scope of of all that you do at live UTI free thank you well our core activity is our website where we provide educational materials for patients. We also have some downloadable resources for patients to take to their doctor or to help them to prepare for their next appointment with a doctor or with a new doctor. And we have a YouTube channel. And the the main purpose of the YouTube channel is to help address the lack of research. So we interview experts in the space, which includes clinicians and researchers about what's happening and new techniques and how they approach the problem so that patients can learn more about this. But I think a lot of clinicians also watch our channel because they're trying to learn from each other. So that has become quite a big resource for us. And then what we do behind the scenes is collaborate with universities and other researchers to do UTI research, to do UTI research, sorry. And 
We have um, some big studies coming up in the pipeline, one looking at the urinary microbiome, which I mentioned earlier, and others looking at the patient experience and how to better measure patient outcomes in this space. So is that that you guys reach out to researchers who are interested in doing more experiments in this field and that's a collaboration? Yeah, so we have our own research team now and we also work closely with a couple of universities and more and more it's become the case that researchers find us and our patient community and reach out for assistance. So one of the things that we do a lot of is provide recruitment support for researchers because it can be very difficult to get enough enrollment for clinical trials or even just for patient online surveys and we can help with all of that. So we've started to connect our patient community with research as much as we can. Okay. Fantastic, it really is. Um, so maybe to come back a little bit, and if, if so, for someone who's listening, going, "Whoa, this is a lot of information around <laughs> around UTIs and chronic UTIs." I guess um, there's like a few core messages that I'd like to be able to, for the listeners to be able to take away, um, and one mm-hmm. I guess is um, that there isn't a clear cut answer as to why people experience UTIs and chronic UTIs. That's correct, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Yeah. And that and that right now we are struggling to find research um to back up um to to back up what people can do if the initial uh, course of antibiotics or if antibiotics hasn't really worked. Um, yeah, that is tricky. Sorry. Absolutely tricky. Um, I wonder then, do you mind sharing a bit more detail about your own personal experience? And and I know what also what I really enjoy about um, the kind of feel I get from the website is that it's not this kind of, there's only one way, you know, this is the way. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a very... A holistic understanding that there are there are women that have recovered through various means and that they're just trying to share it with each other oh this worked for me it's not a dogmatic oh if you don't do this um you're you're doing it the wrong way um but it, i guess it might be nice for listeners who are either experiencing um recurring utis chronic utis or if for people who have loved ones to maybe hear a bit more about your story and to kind of maybe um, contemplate that kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And we we always call ourselves agnostic at LiveUTI Free mm-hmm. because we've seen at this point so many variations of recovery journeys that have taken so many different approaches that we completely understand there is no single approach that will work for everybody. And so there's no point being dogmatic about this. Some people recover on antibiotic protocols, other people use herbs. Other people have a pelvic floor disorder. So the underlying root cause is also something that might need to be addressed in some people. It could be an overlapping condition like endometriosis or hormonal imbalance. And I had that experience myself. So I was experiencing UTIs, but I think in my case, the antibiotics actually caused quite a dysbiosis in my gut because I'd had so many antibiotics and I started to have candida issues. So from my point of view, I ended up stopping taking antibiotics and then I changed my diet quite a lot 
and I started to implement some natural antimicrobials. I also stopped taking the contraceptive pill because I felt like my hormones weren't quite right. And then I did a lot of testing and found that I was deficient in some vitamins and minerals. So I ended up addressing all of these aspects over the course of about two years. And over that time, I just started to get better. And by the end of, I'd say about 10 months of doing this pretty hardcore, I felt completely fine and my symptoms didn't return. But that was a lot. It was a lot of changes that I had to implement. And it kind of, I guess in some ways it was a good experience because it made me see that all of those things can make a difference. And for mm -hmm. some people, it might just be the hormones and it might just be diet or it might be something else, or it could be a combination of things. Mm -hmm. So it's not simple for a lot of people to find what works. You might try one thing and it doesn't work, but if you had tried it in combination with another thing, maybe it would have worked. Because mm. for me, I had tried many of those things separately. And then when I tried them all together, it worked. But I do think of it as a bit of a miracle because it's not like I thought this time it was going to work. It just did. And then when I did get well, I thought we really need to be talking more about this I took a year just to have some headspace because rolling straight from chronic UTI into talking about chronic UTI 24 hours a day was a bit much for me, a bit more than I thought I could handle. But after a year, I felt like I had enough space from it and I could kind of revisit the whole topic. And that's when I started to look at live UTI free. But that's kind of remained our ethos all the way through that you need to be looking at different things. There's no point judging other people's decisions in this space. You just need to find what works for you. And that's why we share stories from so many different people who tried different things and managed to recover. And I think that's a really interesting point that you made that you tried something on its own and it didn't work. And I'm sure there's a part of you that goes, okay, well that doesn't work. So let me try something yeah. else. But actually there's a possibility that if I tried that aligned with this other um, approach or this diet as well, that actually it might have a different impact. It even, but listening to yeah. you, I also like have so much sympathy because it seems like it's one of the few conditions where someone has to go, oh my God, what are all the possibilities? And let me like look at look at this list, and let me try and find uh, an approach to deal with this and that, mm -hmm. and you know all of this combined with just the busyness of life, the stress of life. <laughs> I have like I, I, and I I think this is why I really wanted to do this because I'm sure there are people that feel quite overwhelmed with it all and feel quite hopeless mm -hmm. and yeah I. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal navigating an illness like that, decisions on a daily basis about whether to do something or not to do something, whether to do a new test, whether you can afford it, if you'll be able to find a doctor to help you with the results. It's just a never ending cycle of decisions and it's tiring. And I see that a lot of people will just take time off from it. They might put a month into trying to find a solution and then the next month they just don't, even if they have symptoms or they cycle with their symptoms. So whenever they have symptoms, it spurs them on to do some more research. And then when they feel better, they don't, they just live their life. And then mm. when it hits them again, they wish they'd kept looking, but yeah. at the same time, you still need that time when you're not sick and you just want to do things. Can I ask Melissa, did, did you have anyone during this period that either was going through something similar or that you really felt was like, you know, a, a compassionate corner that you could always roll in because I'm at, like I'm doing it alone just seems so immensely challenging. 
Yeah, I didn't. And that's one of the reasons I also wanted to create this community because I think I've spoken to so many people who have the same opinion. You don't realize that other people have this problem until you start asking. But a couple of years into my journey, I did start asking people if they knew of anybody that had this problem. A lot of the time, the person I was talking to had the problem and had just never mentioned it before because it's sort of a taboo topic for a lot of people or people just think it's something they have to deal with that nobody will understand. But every single group of women I spoke to, there was at least one person who had experienced this or was going through it at the time. So I think it's so important to understand that you aren't alone and potentially join a support group just to be able to share experiences, if not to copy someone else's approach, which I don't think is a good idea, but it's it's great just to know you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that even in the last few years, there's been a shift in the kind of stigma around that discussion? It depends feel? where you're from. It's still different in every country. We hear from people who are willing to talk about it in ways that others aren't. But in the UK, for instance, it's become much more of a mainstream topic. So people are much more comfortable talking about it. In Ireland, I don't get that impression that it's quite as talked about. We haven't found a clinician network there. We do have a patient community there, but it's just not as talked about and um, so it really depends on the region and it depends on the person too a lot of people just aren't comfortable talking about this kind of thing but that's why some of us have to so that they know that it is something that can be potentially addressred absolutely and melissa and um, along with and i'm not going to say i'm going to say along with and not apart from along with spending time on live uti free what would you say to someone who has been battling with this on a kind of very individual basis did like didn't really feel that there was many people um that understood and has never really found a treatment that properly worked is there is there something that you would say in terms of um is there something that you would say that might help them uh, commit to a particular form of treatment or to stop an, a particular form of treatment or it, it yeah because I know that decision in, in, in itself is just very overwhelming because for instance if you're on antibiotics and then but you still have symptoms part of you wants to go off the antibiotics and try something else but mm. if you go off the antibiotics and it gets worse what do you do and then there's probably some self-blame there and mm-hmm. yeah is this is there is there kind of a is there something that you found really gave yourself peace with the commitment with your particular choice? In my case, it was a lot of research that I did myself because at that time I just couldn't find someone that I felt truly supported by. But partway through that journey, I did find a a trainee GP in Germany that actually was from Australia, but she was training in functional medicine as well as conventional medicine and she kind of validated a lot of the decisions I'd made and she also supported me in making some of the rest of the decisions that helped me get well and I think it's really important to have someone that can support you and I know that not everybody can access that kind of clinician so it's not a blanket statement but if you can 
it's very helpful. And a lot of people do work with more holistic clinicians, whether they're on the conventional side of medicine or not, just because they can help them think about other things in their lives that could be contributing to this. If it's previous illness or another condition, or like we've talked about diet, and there are so many things that might help you improve, even if they aren't the ultimate solution. But another thing that can be helpful is to work with a counselor or a health psychologist who can just help you navigate all those decisions because it is really tiring. And sometimes they can just help you understand what your values are and why you might make a certain decision or what's really important to you. And also whether you can then plan for it so that you can afford it because it's not cheap having a chronic illness. So you don't always have the freedom to make these kinds of decisions. So I guess what I've described is the ideal, but it's not accessible for everybody. But but maybe someone could even take one or two of the things that you said there and and try. And Melissa, I know there's not obviously there's a lack of research. Is there is there research that we know? Okay, for sure. For instance, across diet, is it is are do we know for sure there are certain things that are not very good for people who are prone to UTIs, or is it really dependent on the body again in itself? It really seems to depend. There, there is some research that points to a vegetarian diet potentially being helpful. Some people like to have a low acid diet because the acid irritates their bladder. But again, there's people that have terrible UTIs that don't seem affected by drinking alcohol or coffee um, or anything that other people cannot drink even one sip of without pain. So again it's really individual and but we do have some good resources around that and why certain reactions might be happening to food and in what time frame and how that could indicate that it's like a histamine response versus a uti so i would say helping like getting some more knowledge around that topic is helpful it might help you to look at your own diet to see what might or might not be contributing and so that's kind of a good place to start just to figure out what's working and what isn't working for you okay and I even saw on your website, you have this kind of helpful, um, almost like a diary thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can go, okay, so this morning I had this and there wasn't strong symptoms. This afternoon I, I had this and then there was yeah, a little we... bit. Sorry? Yeah, and that kind of points to the resource that I mentioned on YouTube. We have one interview that's that really goes into that in detail about the timing of responses to food and how that might impact your UTI symptoms. Okay. And... Just just right now, I'm very curious, is there, so what is the time period? For instance, if I were to drink something sugary or alcoholic, um, what is the time period that makes me pretty confident that it's that thing that had um, caused the symptom? That's part of the difficulty in this because food reaction can take up to 72 hours. So by that time you will have eaten many other things and that's one of the issues. But um, in the interview that I did on this topic, if you react instantly to something, it's more likely a sensitivity or a histamine response because that thing has not reached your bladder yet. And if it takes longer, it might be the actual food that's irritating your bladder. But then again, you have that 72 hour window, which makes it very difficult to pinpoint. And that's another reason it can help to work with someone who better understands this and can help you track and make suggestions. Okay, great. Thanks, Melissa. Um, I just wanted to dedicate a bit of time around mental health with this because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we've touched on it, how, how mentally fatiguing it can be, how overwhelming financially mm-hmm. as well, just 
limiting you and what you can and can't do. I wondered, was there something or was there certain um, coping mechanisms or tools that really helped you during your process? That's a good question. I think I did think about this a little bit before this interview. I think for me, because when you have a chronic illness, there are so many aspects of it you can't control. For me, it was really important to find things in my life that I did have more control over and to make sure those things supported my physical or mental health, but also helped me to feel like I was valuing myself and my identity. So for me, I really like to work out. I like doing sports a lot. I like hiking and being outside. And so still being able to do those kinds of things made me feel like myself. I didn't feel like I was just my chronic UTIs. I still had things to the side of that. It made it easier to cope, but it always feels like a setback when you have symptoms. Every time between symptoms, I would think maybe this is the time that it's not going to happen again. And then it would, and that feels quite devastating. Mm -hmm. And then you have to kind of regroup and then figure out what's going to make you feel like yourself again Mm -hmm. in order to move on and then continue even if it happens again. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about finding control in some place in my life. But I also have worked with health psychologists at different times through different aspects of chronic illness because I also was diagnosed with endometriosis uh, in 2020 and that's when I worked with a health psychologist to help me post-surgery just to kind of process what had happened and the changes that had happened and how I was feeling now and how long the recovery was going to be and so that can also be helpful just to help you kind of shape things in your life so that it doesn't feel like everything revolves around the illness yeah yeah Um, Because I didn't even know what a health psychologist was until I came on the website. So for for people who Mm -hmm. think that they know what it is, can you just clarify that? Well, it's a psychologist, but someone that works specifically with the health side of things. So not just mental health, but they often specialize in chronic illness. So they can help you through those kinds of issues. But other counselors also specialize in things that are relevant. So counselors that specialize in sexual health can often be helpful for people with UTI because sex can be such a problem and because it can also kind of relate to some of the same feelings. And so it's not necessarily about the specific credentials but the way that they work with patients and what they specialize in okay Melissa actually reminded me because I wanted to touch on sex very quickly um (laughs) for again I know again the research is is limited and but are there is there something that you would say to either someone who does have reoccurring UTIs listening or someone who has a loved one in regards to sex is there something that you go okay this is actually we're really we're close to certain that this is helpful or this can limit the potential um symptoms after sex it's really tricky because i mean sex is one of the biggest triggers for utis in our community and we have been gathering tips from people to say what has helped them for some people they've identified that one specific sexual activity always leads to utis whereas others don't so if you're comfortable experimenting with things, um, that might be a way forward. For others, using a pH balance lube has been the solution or a certain type of condom. So there's, there's products like that, but one of the most important aspects of this is being able to talk to a sexual partner about your physical limitations and your fears, because if they have a mutual understanding of the problem, kind of takes some of the pressure off and the anxiety around sex contributes to symptoms as well as the 
the physical infection itself. Mm. And I know saying just talk to your partner, it's not also something that everybody can do. Not everybody's comfortable with that. But if you are, that's the best place to start. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. One question this I wanted to ask is, um, so how many years are you clear of symptoms? I was clear of symptoms for probably about five years, but I ended up with a chronic UTI because of my endometriosis surgery. And I'm also now getting to the tail end of that, I think. And so I had to have a catheter for seven days after my surgery, which was kind of my worst nightmare and ended up with a hospital acquired catheter associated UTI. That term is not something you ever want to hear or deal with as a UTI sufferer. So that's been rough. Um, And that's also why I worked with a health psychologist to kind of process that, the fact that I had this additional setback on top of the endometriosis diagnosis. Um, But I've been working through that. It's been about two years. I'm mostly well now. And I feel like I'm just trying to deal with the last 5% of consequences from the surgery. I'm sorry, I didn't know that that must have been. What? Yeah, I've spoken about it a little bit on our YouTube channel, and I keep meaning to share the rest of my story on the website, but I have so much else to do with Leave UTI Free that I haven't gotten around to it yet. Okay. Well, um, I, I guess sorry, why I asked was that I wanted to know, because I remember reading um one of your pieces where you talked about how you were x months clear of symptoms but you still had antibiotics in your bag i think you said because Mm -hmm. you were just just in case just in case just in case yeah and i wondered like is there either a medically um advised period of time with no symptoms which means you no longer have a recurrent uti or is it kind of like more of a personal thing and I wanted to know that even when you were four and a half years clear, did you still kind of say, oh, no, I have a recurrent mm-hmm. UTI, so I can't do this and I can't do that? No, I was totally fine. I stopped carrying antibiotics. So I would say that's probably not the right decision, especially with the lifestyle I had of traveling constantly. There's so many different environments, so many opportunities for a UTI. But um I don't carry antibiotics with me now, even on a daily basis. If I go away for three months, then I'll probably take something just in case because you never know. But the, like the technical definition of two episodes in six months or three in a year mean that if you haven't had any episodes for six months, then technically you don't have recurrent UTI anymore. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're free and clear. So a lot of people continue with these kinds of safety behaviors for a long time or forever just because it's smarter to have something on hand. And there are some clinicians that talk about that too, that if you do relapse or have a recurrence later, you should always treat immediately. Otherwise you might end up in a chronic situation again. So it makes sense to be prepared, even if you feel like you're fine. And I'm just thinking how mentally exhausting and like painful that would have been as well. Like if you've been, clear for such a period of time and then it comes back and then mm-hmm. you're probably oh my god what's happening here again well, okay so you, you would advise anyone listening so even if there's been a particular period of symptom free to to just have something if they if just in case because if it does come up it's best to address it as soon as possible 
Yeah, and it always happens in the least convenient time. So in the middle of the night or when you're on holidays. So it's a, it's also just nice to have something to know what your plan is if it happens. Somehow remove some of the anxiety for a lot of people. It can be hard to get last minute care if you're not in your own location and if it's in the middle of the night. Mm. Well, okay. Well, th- Melissa, this has been so um, comprehensive. <laughs> this, 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 well, I, I think it has. Um, before we, before we come to the close, is there something that I haven't touched on that you think is really important for someone listening that is in this world? I think you covered a lot of it, but I would just reiterate that, like, if they are in this position, they're not alone. There are organizations like ours that you can reach out to. There's also a lot of support groups on Facebook with people that are just chatting about their experiences or sharing new research. So you can join one of those if you just want to connect with people. And I think just keep on looking for the right clinician if you have the resources or the access to that. And if not, reach out to us and we'll provide whatever information we can to help. And I will say, because I don't know if someone's listening, going, oh yeah, I'll reach out. And then, you know, three weeks later, they get back to me. You guys are fairly rapid with the response. It, it, with regards to how many we people do are our best. absolutely yeah we write we write back to everyone that's ever sent us a message we've responded and we try to do it within five days so and sooner if we can so we will reach out and if you haven't received a response from us it's probably in your spam folder or your email was faulty <laughs> well uh, yeah thank you so much for your time Melissa and thank you so much for your work I, like I just I know myself from the very limited research I've done that it is it is more common than we believe it to be and that there are, the people who are really suffering mm-hmm. are really going through terrible like physical and, and mental states. So thank you so much yeah. for the work you do and um, thank you for sharing your story. And um, yeah, I'm sure and we'll link we'll leave the links for anyone who wants to reach out to you or the organization. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and for helping us raise awareness about this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you.